Well, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for the latest Appraisal Buzzcast. The topic today is learning from our past. This is an interesting one and we'll discuss what we can learn about past crises and how the market will react to the current pandemic. I'm Jim Morrison with the Appraisal Buzz. Today, Joan Trice, our founder and CEO, will be interviewing Tom and Sarah. Tom and Joan will be discussing the different crises and pandemics and what they've done to the market. Joan, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Jim, and welcome, Thomas. I haven't seen you in a long time, especially in uh, person. I haven't seen anybody in person for a long time. So looking <laughs> yes. forward to getting back to CRN meetings and expos and getting uh, getting the band back together. That would be fun. You had a great article that you wrote for recent, the most recent edition of the Appraisal Buzz magazine, Crisis Lessons of the Past. And so today, since we're in the midst of a crisis, tell us about your article. Well, thank you, John. Yes. You know, when I first started to write the article, it was the very early days of the crisis. I think I started around April or May. Right. And we have since learned a lot more about the crisis. But essentially, in the article, I took a look at uh, the last three crises and compared those to the current crises and tried to evaluate how those past crises affected the economy in general and, of course, real estate appraisers and those associated with real estate transactions. And the interesting conclusion that I reached in the article was that my sense is that this crisis seems to be tracking most similar to the Spanish flu epidemic of uh, 1918. Why do, you, uh, why do you say that? Well, historically, uh, there have been quite a few crises uh, in the United States. Banking and real estate are very cyclical. The worst of which that I evaluated in the article was the Great Depression. And that economic crisis lasted for a very extended period of time. And approximately 17,000 banks failed, over half of the banks that existed in the United States. So it was probably the most severe crisis. Then we took a look at the RTC crisis, the savings and loan crisis. And that crisis also lasted uh, between uh, five and 12 years. And it impacted thousands of banks. Uh, so it also lasted a very long period of time. But interestingly, the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, some of the similarities are that it also was a health pandemic. The initial economic crises lasted for a shorter time frame, approximately two years. But because real estate and banking has some delayed consequences, things like foreclosure and workouts and restructuring of loans have a lagging effect. And so cumulatively, that crisis had negative consequences for banks for approximately four years. And I found in the Spanish flu epidemic, 1,100 banks failed. So a far fewer number of banks failed in the Spanish flu crisis than the other two crises periods. Uh, I'm pretty confident you weren't around for the Spanish flu crises. That took a little research, but um, I do know you were intimately involved with the RTC during these SNL crisis. And since we're using a lot of initials here, um, for those who in the audience who are listening, who might be babies who don't know what the RTC 
was, why don't you uh, share a little bit about that? Your, you had boots on the ground experience there. Sure. So in approximately 1989, uh, the United States had a large oversupply of real estate, uh, arguably because uh, political and economic policies at the time encouraged a lot of uh, development. Um, and then that oversupply led to a price bubble and a collapse and real estate prices collapsed. And then that ultimately led to a lot of loan defaults and foreclosures. And cumulatively, from 1990 to 1995, a federal agency was created by Congress, and it was known as the Resolution Trust Corporation, RTC. And they ended up managing approximately 747 failed banks uh, with $402 billion in assets. Now, in today's dollars, it would be equivalent to about two to three trillion dollars in banks all failing at the same time. So it was a pretty big impact. And the RTC was an independent corporation that was by design so supposed to exist for a five or six year period, manage the crisis, uh, work out and restructure a lot of these loans and try to return the economy uh, back to normal. And they did successfully uh, fulfill that mission and restored uh, confidence in the economy. And then at the end of that six-year period, the RTC was actually closed. Well, with that, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about vultures, because that was the word of the day then. And uh, so right now, I'm going to turn it back over to Jim, and we're going to have a commercial message. Thanks, Joan. Our first message is from ACI. As a provider of innovative appraisal solutions for more than 40 years, ACI is a trusted industry leader. Join the thousands of appraisers and many of the largest appraisal companies that use ACI software in the US and Canada to optimize their business. The ACI One Individual Plan is available today for $649 and includes forms and rules, sketch software, unlimited location and flood maps, public record data, ACI Open House, and more. For more information, visit ACIweb.com. Joan? Thank you, Jim. Well, let's talk about vultures. Do you remember, you know, as the RTC was discounting all of the uh, defaulted real estate and developers were buying up uh, these properties in mass, that they got a dirty word, and it was vultures. But Vultures in nature serve a, even though they're a disgusting creature, they do a pretty good job of cleaning things up and um, helping to the, begin the gentrification process. What are your thoughts on that? Well, imagine a situation where there's so much uncertainty in the market that in a real estate transaction, you cannot attract buyers at any price. Right. No matter how much you discount. And that was the environment that we were dealing with. So strategically, the term that we would talk about uh, was priming the pump. Right. How can we rebuild confidence and excitement to entice buyers into the market? And so early on in the early days of the crisis, that meant purposely selling real estate for literally pennies on the dollar. It happened during the Resolution Trust Corporation. 
And it even happened in the more recent crisis at around 2008. If you recall, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin put together a group of investors. And at the low point of that crisis, when there was zero confidence and they had trouble attracting buyers, he purchased IndyMac, which I believe was around seven to 10 cents on the dollar. So very heavily discounted prices. But what happens in that type of an environment, all the other investors say, wow, that's an incredible opportunity. Maybe we should be considering buying this as well. And so over time, more and more investors returned to the market. Now, the early days in the Resolution Trust did start with heavy discounting. But in the last two years, we were actually selling real estate above appraised value, above par, because there was so much bitter excitement that there were a lot of people competing for those properties. And so if you look at the five-year period overall, the, the RTC published a report when it finished And on average, the proceeds that it collected was about 89 cents on the dollar, which considering it was a bankruptcy situation and a distress situation, 89 cents on the dollar is is probably a pretty good return. So I'm going to take you a little bit off topic, maybe or maybe not. I think this will, time will bear this uh, out. And that is, what are your thoughts around uh, the volume of waivers um, being issued right now at the, in the midst of a crisis? Uh, we're doing what I refer to as no-doc appraisals. Um, I think the recent number was as high as uh, 37% waivers by, by Freddie Mac. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think I can answer that question unless I go all the way back to the founding of why the appraisal profession exists to begin with. Um, And the reason the appraisal profession was actually invented uh, was a result, direct result of the Great Depression. And, And in the Great Depression, the average real estate price declined by 90%. Mortgages were underwater close to 90%. Um, So the failure rate for individuals who owned homes, the foreclosure rate, and then the ultimate failure rate of banks who lent them the money was very significant. And when all the professionals at the time of the Great Depression got together to try to understand why, they found that at the time, there was no disinterested party, nobody that was independent of the transaction who was valuing the real estate. And so they decided to invent this profession whose whole objective was to be completely independent and to do a valuation of the collateral in the hopes that that would stabilize the real estate markets. And it worked for many years. And I would argue that in each of the crises since then, the weakening of the appraisal process in some way led, contributed to, or amplified the negative effects of that crisis. So I believe that having that independent process, that appraisal process uh, has proven over time to help stabilize the market and reduce the severities of all these economic uh, periods that we uh, historically seem to repeat. So to answer your question more directly, I view that as a weakening of the appraisal process. And, and, And the reasoning is sound. I mean, it's this constant struggle between convenience to the consumer 
speed of execution, getting deals closed more quickly to meet that market need. But my question is, if you go too extreme in reducing appraisal, the role of the appraisal, the risk that I think we're all absorbing is the lack of that appraisal, which I think fundamentally protects the borrower and, and the lenders. Yeah, we recently did a, um, a webinar and Cliff Rossi uh, was uh, one of the presenters and he said, AVMs are great risk management tools, but they were never designed, never intended to be an efficiency tool. And that's how we're using it today, as you said, to accommodate loan production. That's not an appropriate uh, use, at least in, in my humble opinion. Um, let's break right here for another commercial message, and then we'll come back. And I've got lots more questions for you, Tom. Thanks, Joan. And thanks to our sponsors who help us put this out. Uh, please support our sponsors. Our second sponsor today is... Amrock. Amrock's hiring staff appraisers. Your best career move starts at amrock.com slash careers. Joan? Thank you, Jim. So, Thomas, you actually, in your article, did a really good job of kind of laying out, even though you wrote it at the beginning of the crisis, you've already given us a, given us a sneak preview on what's yet to come. And I think because of the kicking the can down the road on the forbearance, the stock market just hit 30,000 today. Uh, there's a little bit of euphoria going on. Everybody's talking about how awesome the real estate market is. Prices are going up. Hey, does this sound like 2005 to you? Um, so, What's going to happen next? What are the forbearance, uh, uh, forbearances going to hit the fan? And then what do you see playing out after that? Well, I think we need to make a distinction between residential real estate and commercial real estate. So I'll talk about each individually. Okay. Um, let's talk about commercial real estate first. Um, in the commercial real estate sector, I think the biggest impact that we're seeing is that companies are realizing that their workforce can work at home. And overnight, we have effectively reduced the demand for commercial real estate by 20 to 30%. And that reduction comes from people working from home and companies needing less office space and less uh, um, real estate to house their workers. But also this crisis has disproportionately affected in a, in a negative way small businesses and businesses connected to retail, uh, hospitality and travel. So commercial real estate in my view is likely to be hit the hardest, followed pretty closely by small businesses. And if you look at banking, you're starting to see the lagging effects of late paying loans, restructuring of loans. Cumulatively, banks have reported up to 20 to 30% of their commercial portfolio is in some form of stress. So either late paying, they've asked for a forbearance, they've asked to restructure the loan, and that takes time to play out. So I think you'll see a continued decline in that sector 
in the fourth quarter and maybe a bottoming out in the first or second quarter of next year. In the residential sector, you've seen some positive effects from the government's stimulation to try to inject uh, cash into the economy and to provide relief both to consumers and to small businesses. So that has kept purchasing flowing and the historically low interest rates um, have really stimulated increased activity in real estate. So the residential sector has been far less affected, but there has been a forbearance of, of foreclosures. And so there could be a lagging effect um, uh, on residential real estate, but in a, a lot of markets, if not most markets, there's an undersupply right now. So I would expect to see a far less uh, negative effect in the residential sector but that's also going to depend on how quickly we rebound uh, from the negative effects of, of the economy and whether or not interest rates remain low. I think those are still some unknowns that, that need to play out in uh, uh, 2021. Yeah, the only thing I might challenge you on there is that the uh, rate, of for, or rate of default for FHA loans at the moment is two times what it was in the mortgage crisis. So it's disproportionately impacted the service sector workers. And so that's going to unfortunately impact the, or at least it's going to begin, I believe, with um, the affordable housing sector. And, and that's also where you're seeing the, most of the um, shortages. So that shortage is about to go the other way. Well, I think there's some truth there. I think in both sectors, residential and commercial, uh, defaults have been rising and, and coming close to the levels of the last crisis in 2008. So that's a little alarming. Um, however, there's a sense in the market, which is why I think you see the stock market exploding, is that with the vaccine, the market tends to look forward and they're anticipating that the vaccine will help accelerate the, the rate of recovery to diminish those adverse effects. I, I'm personally a little doubtful. I, I think first and second quarter next year, you're going to see a continuation of the negative trends. I think you're going to start to see a few bank failures, and an increase in loan defaults and loan losses. I will say this, at the very least, in all of the crises, one of the things that was critical in recovering from the crises was a massive effort, both in residential and commercial, to revalue real estate so that the banks can actually determine what is their loss exposure and what is my strategy to work out and restructure these loans? So the everybody involved in appraisals, whether it's appraisers or AVMs or AMCs, you all play a very important role that will have an impact on our rate of recovery. We, we always seem to give the appraisal profession short shrift until we hit these crises. And then suddenly we're the most important, we're at the center of the universe, but um, all that euphoria make, Oh, we don't, we don't need no stinking appraisal. And, uh, and then we always live to regret it. It's a, it's a cycle that we, you and I have now seen how many times over and um 
hopefully, you know, we can actually, the only thing I can say about a crisis is that it's, it, it's an opportunity for change. And maybe this time we'll actually have an opportunity to talk about significant appraisal reforms uh, that need to be in place and protect that uh, very important appraisal independence. And uh, I know that's a topic that's near and dear to your heart too. Any um, final parting words of wisdom to the appraisal community out there? Yeah, your observation is um, very intriguing. Uh, I, I believe that the reason appraisers end up playing an important role in every recovery is that what's common in every crisis is uncertainty. And the market doesn't realize how bad things are going to get until confidence is restored. And the appraisal process and appraisers and, and AMCs and AVMs, they help restore that confidence by reappraising all the collateral. And that helps banks and regulators understand uh, what their options are in working through the crises. So again, I think everybody plays a really important role during these periods of crisis. Agreed. Well, Tom, thank you very much for your time today. And I'm going to turn it back over to Jim. Thanks, Joan. Our final sponsor today is Clearbox. Clearbox is a vendor management platform connecting qualified appraisers with both lenders and AMCs. Save time and money and create your universal approval package that can be forwarded to anyone at any time. If you need to expand, diversify, or upgrade your client list, register today at clearbox.com. Use the coupon code CLEAR10 to save $10 off your background check. Joan and Tom, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a great discussion. It was so interesting to learn. Uh, we really appreciate your time and make sure that you subscribe to get the latest. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.